What's up, Poison Pals? It's your host, Megan Gesner. And your other host, Harini Vat. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> we should just give ourselves some names. Everyone knows we're Megan names. and Harini. Let's oh my God. use other names. <laughs> I would kind of love that. We should do like a celebrity. I'm going to say I should say who I'm going to be for today's Ooh. episode, but that would be very okay. controversial, right. as you guys will see later. <laughs> okay. I should not say that I am this person. But today I am Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> Edward. That, is, that is what I'm going with today. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I was I was thinking more like nicknames that were tied to our actual names. Oh. But I like that you went with Edward Scissorhands. I was going to go with like Megan the G because that's something that has followed me since like middle school. Actually, yeah, it used to be Megan the G spot, which was oh, something God. that followed me since high school. And I was like, I don't really know what that means, but it's hilarious. Megan, that's, if, for all the um, nicknames to have as a kid, that is probably one of the best ones. <laughs> So anyway, but I, I've truncated that to Megan the G to make it nice and PG. Exactly, because you are Anyways. the G. You are the G. Just how I went really out of left field and did not follow format with Edward Scissorhands. I <laughs> I was at work the other day and the person I work with, she was like, oh, like I want to see your ring. Do you have a picture of your ring? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I do. But I don't really like take pictures of it like up close, obviously. So I was like, I got to go back a little bit. So I was like going through my phone. It was just taking me forever. I was like, dude, I got to scroll all the way back to like October 2019. And that's like too far away. Right. As I was on my way there, I found pictures from my Big Sur trip, like right before we met up for Halloween, Megan. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I found the picture of a tarantula that I found. And I was like, hey, this isn't a picture of my ring, but check out this tarantula. <laughs> and she's just started laughing her ass off. <laughs> she's like, hey, that's a pretty that's cool so tarantula. Like, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> so Megan, how was your week? Oh, yeah. My week was good. It was good in a way that it was busy, but not super demanding or stressful. It was like I felt busy and I got my stuff done. And I just felt like, yeah. yeah, I achieved what I needed to achieve so that I could enjoy my weekend. So, lovely, um, lovely. Yeah, and has good. your weekend been good so far? Yeah, it has. <laughs> all right, all right. Because <laughs> I was going to say, oh, go ahead. you guys, we usually record on Wednesday evening slash nights. But today we're switching it up a little bit. We are recording in the a.m. It's a crisp Sunday morning. Megan's at San Diego. Mm. I'm in SF and I'm recording from my living room, just enjoying this change of pace. So all good. All yeah. good. Yeah. Easy. How's your, and your week's been good too? My week has been yeah. good. I'm two weeks away from graduating, which is super exciting. Woo. And I'm just getting ready. I was telling Megan after this episode recording, I'm going to start packing up all my stuff to get ready to go back down to San Diego for a nice long three month vacation before I start working. I'm so excited. I know. I will, I'll see you when you get down here. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was saying, I've always been trying to, I'm trying, like, I'm going to dedicate a lot of my time today to job apps. And Sweet. so when I said like, oh, I'll still be here is... I'm actually hoping to get out of San yeah, Diego. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to find a new gig or something. But at least we'll have some time to overlap. Yeah, we'll, we'll enjoy our summer vacation yeah. together. And then, mm -hmm. you know, if all goes well, maybe we even will migrate to the Bay at the same time. And then we'll oh all God, be in the Bay, me, you, and Drew, the crew, new chapter. I feel like we were all meant to 
to be close. I know. Me too. Throughout our lives. I know. That's so yeah. true. All right. Uh, I'm ready. Well, on that note, <laughs> yeah. let's yeah, let, let's turn it over to Harini. Mm-hmm. So Harini is going to bring us a story today. I have no idea what she has planned. So I am as much in the dark as you are, mm. Poison Pals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Harini, mm-hmm. it's time for you to pick your poison. All right. <laughs> yeah. And today's like a real, it's a poisonous. It's a poisonous one. It's a toxin of the mind. (laughs) Okay. Man, I love it. (laughs) All right, let's just get into it. Okay, okay. All right. Boys and pals, you always got to settle in. Settle along. Settle into your car. Settle into your walk if you're listening to us while you're walking. Settle into your bed if you're just waking up Mm -hmm. to some nonsensical podcast (laughs) while you wake up. Yeah. Yeah, and you pick your poison as well, boys and pals. Grab a drink. <laughs> Grab that 9 a.m. beer. <laughs> yeah, on that Sunday. I was going to say, for Megan's watching me through video, it is Sunday morning. It is 10 a.m., and it looks like I'm, I'm drinking something red out of a wine glass, and it is not wine. It is pomegranate juice, just so everyone okay. knows. Okay. <laughs> I am not yeah. that person. Although, that is not beyond me. <laughs> that is not beyond me. Yeah. Okay. That's so funny. No, no judgment. I've literally, like, (laughs) the area I live in in San Diego, and Harini can attest to this, like, I've literally walked down the street at, like, 9 Mm a.m., and there are bars open, and there are people who probably, who are there, Oh like, just getting their morning drink, and I'm like... (laughs) They're Bloody Marys. What a life. Dude, yes, yes. Getting into it. Okay, guys, let's get into the story of the day. My poison of choice takes place. I'm doing my usual thing. I'm taking this back, 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 and we're going to the very poisonous, and you can argue, a very poisonous time in our history, World War II. <laughs> so oh, let's, yeah. let's go back yeah. to that. Okay. So this story takes place during World War II. So I'm going to set that world stage of what's going on at the time. Poison Pals, I know you don't need to hear it from me, a whole brief, really badly told history of World War II, but this is what you're going to get. So let's get into it. World War One really destabilized Europe. And when it was over, nothing was really tied up in a neat little bow. You know, there were still unresolved issues across the European continent. And there was a lot of political and economic instability, particularly in Germany. This was just the perfect environment for Hitler, Socialist German Workers' Party. And now you guys know why I didn't want to say who I was. <laughs> <laughs> Everything came along rather quickly after that for Hitler. He became ch- German chancellor in 1933. He anointed himself as the Fuhrer or Supreme Leader in 34. declared that dis- extermination of all but the superior race was the only way to have Lebensraum or a living space for the German race to expand. So it was like, boom, 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 like one thing after the other. He really just rose to the top really quickly. It was kind of one of those things where like, I want to say like everyone was a little bit blindsided. Everyone else around the world was still recuperating from World War One, And he just kind of rose from the ashes mm. when no one was looking. Mm. 1938 mm. is when Hitler officially sends troops to Austria. And this is the moment where World War Two kicked off. The war, as mm-hmm. we know, was ruthless and it was long. And it wasn't face-to-face combat like we saw in World War One. Now we had planes and tanks, etc., just like artillery warfare. But it still required a lot of vigilance on the soldiers' part and being on your game 24-7, of course, just like with any kind of war. Something that the Nazi regime would have their soldiers take to essentially, quote-unquote, keep up and be just amped for battle always was this little pick-me-up called Pervitin, 
also known as mm. methamphetamines, also known as crystal mm. meth. Mm. The mm. German army psychologist Otto Rank started giving pervitin pills, and I hate the name pervitin because I just feel like that's just like not great branding. Pervitin pills or meth mm. to pilots in particular to keep them alert with little sleep. And on top of that, it was able to keep an entire military force euphoric. Like they felt like on top of the world and didn't need much sleep. So it was kind of like this ideal mm. war drug, especially when you think about it, when these soldiers are in war, there's no end point in sight. It just kind of feels like never ending and that can really decrease morale. So having this drug, taking meth every single day was a good boost for them. That's so interesting. Because like I, I get that sentiment of there's a euphoria aspect, but also like I can understand why you'd want to give it to people who are in the the business of killing yeah. and, and I'm, I'm not mm-hmm, putting mm-hmm. that the right way. Because like my understanding is that methamphetamines will make you agitated You're on correct. some level, You're right? Correct. Like so it's like simultaneously disassociating them mm-hmm. from like how long the war is going to be, but also making them their frontal lobe <laughs> decision making is not as prevalent so they're just gonna do whatever the Mm -hmm. fuck they need to do get the job done no you're completely right and so i kind of talk about that i think coming up but yeah so Mm, no 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 (laughs) you're good you're good during this time in germany more than 35 million pills of pervitin were made for german soldiers during world war ii to maintain their energy And I think something Mm. to note, of course, is that the education on what meth is and what it does to you was very much unknown to how it is known today. So they weren't aware of all the effects. Mm. They just sort of thought it was this wonder drug. News Mm. of pervitin quickly spread to British troops who were hearing of this miracle pill that the Germans had invented. Although pervitin was great for pilot alertness in the short term, exactly what Megan said In the long term, it made them agitated, aggressive, and cognitively impaired. And although it just started out with pilots, it wasn't long before all soldiers were relying on it too. And emphasis on relying on it because it is highly, highly Mm. addictive. And just to give you an idea of what this was like, a letter sent by a soldier in 1939 by Heinrich Boll, he was writing to his family asking for more pervitin. He writes that it made sleep unnecessary. It allowed him to work for 50 hours straight without feeling tired. It Mm -hmm. switched off his inhibitions, making fighting easier and less terrifying, which is kind of like what you were saying, Megan. It is like this double-sized sword where it's like it makes you feel really good and it's perfect for war because it just lowers all those inhibitions and just makes you get the job done Mm -hmm. faster the real kicker here so that's just like a little bit of background on to what was happening right Mm -hmm. the thing was it wasn't just lower ranking soldiers that used (laughs) meth during world war ii it went all the way to the fucking top of the food chain Mm. as a recreational drug of choice the pick of poison Mm. for Hitler himself, Mm. Mm. which is kind of suspect because, and I'll talk about this later, but I want to address it now. Mm -hmm. Under the Nazis and the Aryan race, it's this whole idea of this pure bred race and they don't engage in these like dirty activities that the quote unquote Jewish people would engage in. And Mm. one of those was drugs. Mm. They really looked down upon drugs and alcohol, which is just kind of hilarious because Mm. uh, 
as you'll come to realize in the story, Hitler was fucking huge druggie. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, pot yeah. calling the kettle black, coming back to play. All right. Yeah. So Hitler's personal doctor was Dr. Theodore Morell, and he regularly injected patient A. So once this was all this all came out, obviously, Dr. Morell kept notes on all his drugs that he used and like his treatment plans and things like that for Hitler. And he never used Hitler's name. He was always referred to as patient A. It is confirmed that Hitler was patient A. When you read these articles, he'll say, I regularly injected patient A with hormone preparations Mm. and steroids that he created from animal glands and other suspect ingredients. Mm. I kind of look at that as like a poor man's Mithridates, Mm. if you will. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. And towards the tail end of the war, you could really see that Hitler's health was declining considerably. And at that point, Morell secretly was treating Hitler with Eucadol, a.k.a. oxycodone, mm. in July of 1943, which is an opioid. Mm-hmm. Hitler got an injection every single day, which another doctor in that mm-hmm. area pointed out. His name was Oler. It was the schedule of an addict and goes against any medical indication. Mm. The Fuhrer was hooked. Mm. So there were several attempts to assassinate Hitler during this time, internally, externally, like all of the above. Mm-hmm. Probably the most famous incident was in July of 1944, when German senior military officials tried to kill Hitler with a bomb mm. that was unsuccessful in Operation Valkyrie, which is also the movie. Mm-hmm. Although this explosion was unsuccessful in killing Hitler, it was successful in puncturing both of his eardrums. So after this, Hitler had to seek care from an ear, nose, throat doctor, otherwise known as an ENT doc, by the name of Erwin Geising. Mm. Geising was called to Hitler headquarters in Poland and started to treat Hitler without consulting with Morell, Hitler's main squeeze doctor. This <clears throat> Geising doctor started giving Hitler cocaine in Hitler's nasal passages with a cotton swab. And very quickly, Hitler became addicted to cocaine, too. Uh, I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm just like, what? (laughs) No, like, I understand. Like, the cocaine has a numbing effect. Like, I get it. Like, if that's going to ease the pain or whatever. But it is funny. I'm like, (laughs) it is funny, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, he's already getting a daily opioid injection. And I don't understand how cocaine's going to heal his punctured eardrum but whatever if it's, it's just like a pain it's thing sure not. i think it's just yeah that's interesting because if he's still having the o- those opioid injections then he mm-hmm. technically wouldn't need the cocaine to numb anything in his his ears nose or throat so the, yeah the thing <laughs> we obviously have an opioid epidemic I will also say from pharmacological standpoint we don't have really good pain medications we just have really poor options for healing pain in the medicine world. And opioids in particular, the thing that makes them so addictive and what makes it so bad is that they work well at first, but you gain a tolerance pretty quickly to them, mm-hmm. which puts you in this vicious cycle where it's like, oh, it's helping you with the pain, but it's not helping you enough. So you need more. And then it just kind of like compounds on itself. Right. And the more you're you're taking, the harder it is to stop and the worse the withdrawal is. And it's, you know, it's just this whole thing. Right. So it could have been a thing where if he's taking every freaking day, I'm sure he was definitely tolerant to that and maybe needed something more. I mean, I don't need to um, justify anything for Hitler, but yeah. that's, that could be a thought process. So 
Morel and Geising did not like one another from the get-go. In fact, Geising suspected that Morel was poisoning Hitler, mm. and he wasn't the only one who felt that way. In the fall of 1944, this whole situation came to a head. Mm. Hitler was closer to Morel than anyone else at that point, especially after Operation Valkyrie. Mm -hmm. He had few people he could really trust. And at the same time, Hitler's health was failing him and he was addicted. So he heavily relied on Morel each day to give him his fix, essentially. Morel's power as his personal physician was at an all-time high. After the Valkyrie incident, Hitler had an SS soldier standing behind every single chair to prevent further attacks. And anyone who wanted to see Hitler had to hand over their briefcase first mm. but this rule did not apply to morel's doctor's bag pretty much everyone in hitler's inner crew was jealous i think of dr mm -hmm. morel's privilege where he sort of stood above the rules and regulations required of everyone else and on top of that morel was stubborn as fuck and refused <laughs> to talk to anyone else about his treatment methods for hitler which, honestly, I don't fault him for because, like, HIPAA, dude. Like, mm. you can't be talking about that stuff. But anyways, I do have a short story to share about HIPAA because I got my hand severely slapped uh, on rotations one time. Wait, I, well, by telling the story, will you be violating HIPAA? No, Megan, but that, okay. is, a great, okay. that is a great question to I'm ask. just trying Thank to look you. out for you if you already got your hand slapped. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Okay. No, no, no. This was on my oncology rotation, which Megan, you know, I was like dying I on. Know. That was a really hard, yeah. hard one. And my preceptor really got in my head. He was always like fucking with me. But I basically would work up all the patients in the morning and I was mostly on my own attending runs and things like that. And then in the afternoons, I would come back together with my preceptor and go over patients. Mm -hmm. And usually when we do this, it's in his office. But on this particular day, he asked me to meet him in the fusion center in the hospital mm -hmm. where all the oncology patients are getting their chemo infusions. Mm -hmm. So I meet him there and he asked me, he's like, okay, like let's go over patients as we are walking back down through the hospital to his office, right? Right. I do what he says and mm -hmm. I sound like, okay, so this patient, this, right? Mm -hmm. And then he stops me. He's like, so first of all, you can't talk about patients in the hospital because that's HIPAA violation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, like, uh, he let yeah. me go yeah. on, on and on. And I was like, oh my God, this guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, you know, some people are just like that. Some people are just like that. You should have just. I never did that again. Yeah. I mean, okay. It's a good, it's a good way to learn. But also like, mm -hmm. if you were truly sassy and didn't give a F about the hierarchy between mm -hmm. your, what is it called? Preceptor? Yeah. And yourself. And he pulls that on you and is like, oh, you gotcha. <laughs> like, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a bad preceptor because you allowed me to do it instead that's of telling me that. <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, you, well, I mean, yeah. clearly he let me go on because like there wasn't anyone around, mm -hmm. but he was just like telling me like, normally you shouldn't talk about patients that way. Mm -hmm. But what I thought you were going to tell me to say mm -hmm. is, well, joke's on you because all those patients are fake. Oh, shit. <laughs> None of those patients are real. Been, yeah, that would have been really cool if you <laughs> I know. But anyway, so back to the story. Back okay, to the story. Okay, okay. So yeah, Morel refuses to talk to anyone about his treatment methods. He even stopped sharing details of treatment to his assistant doctors, which he used to do before. Mm -hmm. But now they're mostly kept in the dark on such matters. And the particular article that I got this information from was really hilariously written. 
And I wanted to share this one quote, please, because uh, this was them <laughs> this was talking about how he kind of went from this regular doctor to gaining celebrity status, essentially. So I laugh at the way the article wrote this. They said he mutated from outsider to diva. <laughs> I was like, yes, 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 yes. I love that. Yeah. Mutated. The, I know. I was like, mutated from outsider to diva. I was like, those words are just... I know. As the war went on, it was clear Germany under Hitler was losing. The Nazis were looking for someone internal to blame. Mm-hmm. For a long time, Heinrich Himmler was collecting info on Morel to substantiate his own theory that Morel himself had a morphine addiction and therefore was mm. susceptible to blackmail. A man named Bormann, who I think helped run SS Laboratories, issues a new regulation that Morel had to inform the medical supply officer on many medications he planned to use for Hitler and why on a monthly basis. Morel definitely understood and saw these regulations, but didn't implement shit. (laughs) He just continued Mm. doing what he always did, banking on the assumption that his trusty patient A would always protect him. Mm -hmm. Going forward to fall of 1944... Geising, the ENT doctor, saw an unusual coloration in Hitler's face and thought it might be jaundice. The Mm. same day, at the dinner table, there was a plate with apple compote with glucose and green grapes and a box of Dr. Coaster's anti-gas pills, which Geising Mm. felt was a rather random thing to have. Which, yes, it's true, but also so is apple compote with glucose and green grapes. Like, I don't know why. What is the, what's the glucose in that? Is it? I don't know. Like, I think they just mean sugar. I don't know why they're calling it glucose. I I, I do remember like back in the day, they would call it glucose sometimes. I don't know. It's weird. Okay. You're probably right. Sugar and grapes. (laughs) Apples, sugar and and anti-gas pills. (laughs) Your, your typical dinner table. Geising looked further into these anti-gas pill ingredients and was stunned when he saw the ingredients included atropine and strychnine, Mm. which Mm. strychnine paralyzes the spinal column and is also used as rat poison. And Geising Mm. did indeed smell a rat. The side effects Mm. of these anti-gas pills at too high a dose were eerily similar to Hitler's symptoms. The atropine initially had this stimulant effect on the central nervous system, then a paralyzing one. You are on a high, you're talkative, you're animated, full of ideas. You can even get visual and auditory hallucinations and delirium that can mutate into violence. This is something, I don't know if people know, but this is something that a lot of people in in the history books you'll read about Hitler is that he was in this constant state of euphoria that even the people closest to him could not explain it away by anything in particular. Mm. He was just like always on this high and super, super animated. In the anti-gas pills, Geising thought he had discovered the causes of both Hitler's megalomania and his physical decline. He decides to treat himself as a guinea pig with these anti-gas pills. For a few days, Geising took the little round pills himself and quickly confirmed he had the same symptoms and decided to go on the offensive. His intentions were clear. He was outwardly going to accuse Morel of poisoning the Fuhrer. While the war was raging on across the world, there's essentially this pharmacological warfare between these doctors happening mm. within the lines den itself. Geising got Hitler's surgeon on board and one of Morel's uh, personal assistants to back his allegations up against Morel. When everything came out in the public, in the public meaning like internally, he told Hitler, like, I think he's poisoning you. Here was the proof, quote unquote. 
Morel was practically jumping for joy at hearing that they thought he was poisoning Hitler. He thought he was getting nailed for giving him too much meth. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I mean, <laughs> po- potato, potato, but like... Right. Like, he was um, like, anti-gas pills. He's like, oh, whew, well, that's okay. But <laughs> subtly slides his little meth stash behind him as he's getting <laughs> berated. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the reason why he wasn't worried about the anti-gas pills is because those are available without prescription Mm. and on top of that he never prescribed them in the first place Mm. hitler got the pills through his valet of his own accord essentially the entire acquisition didn't even involve morale so Mm. he was gotten off scot-free pretty sure hitler was probably pissed off that they wasted his time with this Mm. and also i don't want to be accused of abusing my anti-gas pills oh my god (laughs) like that's a little (laughs) embarrassing (laughs) but But they held steadfast, saying Mm. things like, I have proof that this is a simple case of strychnine poisoning. Mm. But the thing is, there could have been a variety of reasons why Hitler's health was declining. Taking meth multiple times a day, just a shot in the dark. Another possibility is that I'm pretty sure he had hepatitis. Uh, Mm. And from what I was reading, multiple Mm. sources caused by Morel reusing needles that were only disinfected with alcohol for when he was doing his opioid injections. I know. Hitler's liver was very bad. It was completely under attack from an accumulation of toxic substances from months and months of use. Mm. His liver was releasing bilirubin, which is what happens in jaundice. It's supposed to stay in your liver, but once it starts leaking out, it has a a yellow pigmentation to it, which is what causes your skin to turn yellow and your your eyes to turn Mm. yellow as well. So despite all of that, Hitler kind of clearing his name on that front, he still was being accused of poisoning Hitler regardless. Mm. And this caused a lot of stress on him. Morel suffered from a brain edema with all this pressure and accusations. He didn't die, but at the same time, Hitler was deeply disturbed by these accusations. He started to believe that after all this time, he was being double-crossed by his most trusted confidant. Hitler couldn't quit him, though, because their relationship was so symbiotic at that point. Morel gave him his Eucadol or his oxycodone, and Hitler in return maintained his artificial air of euphoria and charisma mm. in exchange for protecting Morel from basically everyone everyone else. Yeah. It was a proxy war of doctoral succession internally. Mm. Finally, a chemical analysis of the anti-gas pills. They're still on these anti-gas pills. Yeah. These anti-gas pills came out and the result was that the atropine and strychnine were far too small a dose to poison anybody, even in massive quantities that Hitler was supposedly given. Mm. So huge victory for morale. Basically nipped it in the butt. Yeah. Hitler stated ending the entire affair saying, you can say what you like against Morel. He is and remains my only personal physician and I trust him completely. And Geising was dismissed by the Fuhrer. Himmler suddenly changes his tune and demands all cases against Morel to be dropped immediately. But the doctors don't really take that line down. They still fervently believe that Morel was slowly poisoning him. Maybe not by the anti-gas pills, but definitely by way of negligent bodily harms if you are by almost like overdosing. Yeah. Or, or what they mean by that is he's overprescribing and misusing his treatment abilities as a personal physician to the fewer that in itself could kill him as well. You yeah. know, overdosing him on these opioids constantly. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was this perfect cover. I'm not saying that he his intention was to poison him or not. That is that remains unclear. Mm-hmm. And I have to look into it because I do think his doctor was Jewish, but I, mm. I'll i have to 
research that real quick. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he was intentionally poisoning him or not, but let's just go with the assumption that he was trying to poison him. It was a little bit of a perfect cover because he had the right to prescribe. He was the personal physician. And on top of that, Hitler requested getting these injections every day and other drugs, right? Mm -hmm. So if Hitler did die, it was at his own hand, Mm -hmm. essentially, because he's been asking for all these drugs. Anyways, Hitler, by the end of his life, was taking close to 150 tablets and 8 to 10 injections every week. Mm. That is insane. That is an insane amount of just shit you're putting into your body. Yeah. All the other doctors were eventually asked to leave Hitler headquarters, and Morel was the only one asked to stay. Mm. Patient A stood firmly by his supplier Every addict adores their dealer. Hitler was unable to leave the generous doctor who provided him with everything that he needed. To calm his nerves, Hitler received Eugadol, which we know, the oxycodone, and then two other drugs on a daily basis, Eupavirin, which I had to look up. I've never heard of these. It's also known as Moxavirin, which is a PDE inhibitor, which is essentially a vasodilator. Mm. And it works similar to what we know as Viagra. Mm -hmm. He was taking glucose IV. There it is again. Mm. Plus homocerin intramuscularly, which is a product made from placenta. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. How did they even get that? I don't even want to know. I I don't even want to know. I didn't want to ask. I can only assume where they're getting this placenta, but... Yeah, so that is just, um, yeah, not cool at all. What is most ironic and horribly messed up about all of this, which I kind of alluded to earlier, is all this drug use was associated with Jewish people. The Nazi party's office of racial purity claimed that the Jewish character was was essentially drug-dependent. Both Mm. needed to be eradicated from Germany. It is just horribly, horribly hypocritical that this person was essentially taking every drug in the book Mm. by the end of his days. And it's also sad about the German soldiers who were given the meth. I mean, I'm sure that they enjoy taking it, Mm -hmm. of course, because it makes them feel great. But it's also a very horribly addicting drug. Mm -hmm. And the aftermath of the soldiers that use Pervitin, they would be deemed criminally insane. Some were killed by the state using lethal injections Mm -hmm. and other others went quite literally psychotic and suicidal, either from like unlocking psychotic emotions in their brain or not being able to handle withdrawal. Yeah, Yeah. this is just me talking. But like also, if there is one ounce of like morality that ever flickered in their brains, I imagine that the pervitin would suppress any sort of because again, I'm thinking about how it impacts your frontal lobe and decision making Mm -hmm, skills mm -hmm. and like how your frontal lobe works so that it suppresses spontaneity unless you're very intentional about it, right? Things like that. So like, Mm -hmm. I think it's sad in a sense of when you add drugs such as pervitin to the mix, it could totally just take away if you did have some sort of empathy towards the people that yeah. you were responsible for annihilating and all this. And I don't know when Hitler started to take these injections uh, of the opioids and otherwise, but it definitely played an enormous hand in how he was so successful in basically brainwashing these people. Mm-hmm. All these people were on drugs, like quite yeah. literally, like everyone was on drugs and 
when you're in that kind of state where you have lost all your inhibitions and then you have already this person at baseline who's very charismatic and influential at getting people to do what he wants them to do, you have a very malleable group of people at your will and making them believe that they are here and doing this higher purpose of essentially exterminating entire groups of people. It's very, very scary. So yeah. that's basically what happened. Drugs are yeah. intense, y'all. But anyways, so that is the story portion. Mm-hmm. There's still a little bit of history, but now it's kind of blending into the toxicology of mm-hmm. how that shit is poison. So yeah. Prevention, I don't know if I explained this earlier, but it could be bought without a prescription. Mm. Hence the letter of that soldier to his family asking for more. Mm. Women were recommended to take two to three pills of it a day, after which they would zoom, zoom, zoom around their housework, get everything done Mm. with the added bonus of losing weight since meth satiates your appetite. Mm -hmm. The side effects of taking meth on a daily or frequent basis are being awake for long hours. You are hyper alert. Some soldiers died of heart failure because it was like they never slowed down. They're never off. They're always like Mm -hmm. up, up here. Psychotic episodes as it can unlock some parts of your brain. Some just plain got addicted to the stimulating effects. And when they didn't have it, it would lead them into a very severe withdrawal, which Mm -hmm. can include sweating, dizziness, hallucination, and depression. Leonardo Conti the Third Reich's top health official, tried to limit the use of the drug among his forces. He was, however, very unsuccessful because once you're addicted, it's extremely, extremely hard to stop. Mm-hmm. Germany was still supplying pervitin to their armies up through the 1960s. It wasn't until the 70s that the drug was officially removed for use, but the East Germany army wouldn't incorporate this rule until 1988. Mm. Which is pretty wild because definitely meth was considered illegal before that, at least in the U.S. I don't Mm -hmm. know about other parts of the world, but 1980 wasn't that long ago. Okay, a bit of history on meth. So amphetamines were first made in 1887 in Germany and methamphetamine, which is the more potent version and surprisingly easier to make, was developed in Japan in 1919. If you look Mm. at the raw form, which was made in Japan, which is crystal meth, It literally looks like a crystal. If you Google search crystal meth and it's a pure form, it is very crystal-like. It looks like one of those crystals that you collect in Crash Bandicoot for my my friends that play Crash Bandicoot. And because of this crystalline structure, it was made into a powder easy enough, which was perfect for injections. I said that meth was used on the German side, but it was also heavily used on the Japan side as well. They gave them to their kamikaze pilots before their suicide missions. In the 50s, meth was prescribed for diets and depression. Because it was so accessible, it was used by college students, athletes, truck drivers, which kind of makes sense based on the effects. It wasn't until the 70s that the U.S. government at least made it illegal pretty much across the board. However, meth is still used today for medical purposes. And I'm saying meth, quote unquote, Adderall is Mm -hmm. amphetamine Mm -hmm. and is used for attention deficit disorder, ADHD and ADD. There are derivations of amphetamines for ADHD drugs that are highly effective for concentration Mm -hmm. and sustained focus. But since they have a high risk for abuse, they are considered Schedule II drugs. So more of the farm background. Meth exists as two enantiomers, as they say in chemistries. It's like a mirror image of itself. When you look at the structure, Mm -hmm. it has like a mirror image, has like a side A and a side B, essentially. Mm Mm-hmm. You can basically split the compound into like its A side and its B side. Each component on its own has its own function. Hmm. 
So there is L-methamphetamine and D-methamphetamine. Actually, mm. we were talking about L-methamphetamine and D-methamphetamine in our Uptown Mold episode, as mm. it was found in her tox report that she was taking L-methamphetamine, which is found in various over-the-counter nasal decongestions. So this is not addictive. On the other hand, the dextromethamphetamine or D-methamphetamine is more concentrated. It has more of an effect similar to the full compounded mixture of both sides A and B. And that is actually also derivation for an ADHD medication. Gotcha. So essentially meth in the pure form, meaning it contains both enantiomers, L and D, is what is called methamphetamines. I sort of alluded to this earlier, but meth's effects on the body are that it can elevate your mood, increase alertness, like I said, concentration, energy, and fatigued individuals, reduce your appetite, and promote weight loss. Mm. At very high doses, it can induce psychosis, breakdown of your skeletal muscles, induce seizures, and cause brain bleeds. Then there's chronic high dose. Use can precipitate unpredictable and rapid mood swings, and essentially just a lot of psychotic behavior, whether that's uh, hallucinations, delusions, violent behavior, and the withdrawal of methamphetamines are very intense. It can Mm. persist for months beyond Mm. the typical withdrawal period. So it's very, very difficult withdrawal uh, period. So it is Mm. neurotoxic to your human midbrain, which is where your dopaminergic neurons live at very high doses. Amongst other things about, you know, being one of the happy hormones, it is also very key for just literally engaging in smooth, connected physical movement. Like even me just moving my arm in in the way Mm. that I want it to, because Mm. loss of those dopamine neurotransmitters is what causes Parkinson's. Yeah. Tell us about, you know, on a superficial level, most people associate meth with bad teeth and skin. Why does that occur? Oh, you know what? I don't know. But okay. that, is, that is something I should look into because you know what? You're right. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that. I wanted to mm-hmm. look at some before and after pictures of Hitler and mm-hmm. seeing if there's any, you know, you see those pictures of people who are on drugs. Most of them are on meth and mm-hmm. how they look like they've aged considerably, even though mm-hmm. they're just like, it's, they're only like a few years older. Right. I don't know if it has anything to do with the breakdown of the skeletal muscle where it's literally like breaking down like you, even like your skin and your, mm. your if your muscles are breaking down and like you start to sag underneath, it makes you look a lot mm. older. I'm wondering if that has an aspect to it, but I will give you a full answer. Yeah. I'll look that up. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's the, the mode of how you take the drug mm-hmm. also sure. impacts that. So for example, like with Hitler, mm-hmm. I'm assuming he was just taking that pill form, that pervitin, and I not believe so. smoking meth. I wonder if there's a, you know, like uh, how you take it also impacts absolutely the effects it has on your countenance. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is neurotoxic. Meth can cause serious adverse changes in your brain structure and function. Uh, it can reduce gray matter volume in several brain regions. So just a lot of stuff you probably don't want to happen to your, mm-hmm. to your body. A little bit about how it works. So meth will upregulate the release of certain neurotransmitters. A lot of our happy hormones, you have your norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine. These changes in these neurotransmitters in the concentrations can contribute to these mood changes, psychotic behavior, and aggressiveness. The highest levels of meth are observed about 30 minutes after an IV or IM injection or two to three hours post an oral ingestion. And it takes about a day or so for it to be fully eliminated from the body. I kind of found this interesting. So there were some animal studies done. And when it's given to animals, 
it elicits this aggregation toxicity when an mm-hmm. amphetamine is given in a low dose to one animal, such as a mouse, it doesn't induce much behavioral change. However, if the same dose of drug is given to a group of animals, it tends to produce hyperactive behavior, which may lead to death. So essentially what that means is if you give a mouse amphetamines on its own alone, there's no one else around him, mm-hmm. it, it won't do much. But something about being around other people and interacting with others causes an aggressive behavior. I don't know. There's It triggers something in you where you're, you're aggressive and you're violent towards others. But I do feel like that is reflective in humans as well. Let's go back to this is going to be something that I know I'm not going to answer. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you might not be able to answer. Too. Yeah. And I wish I could remember everything I learned from human development. <laughs> but I'm trying to think about like, what does the midbrain control? Because we know that that's what meth directly impacts. And so depending on the areas of the midbrain, that can give you an idea of why like when when a mouse is alone, it doesn't act a certain way on meth. Mm-hmm. But when it's around other mice, um, socially something changes. And I think that's because of how it impacts the midbrain. What neuropathways are happening in the midbrain that impacts our um, socialization? So I just did a quick Google search. The midbrain is crucial in processing information related to hearing, vision, movement, pain, sleep, and arousal. So it's part of your brainstem. Okay, so now it's coming back. So you have the three main parts. It's your midbrain, your pons, and the medulla oblongata, including arousal, consciousness, sleep-wake cycles, coordination of certain movements, and cardiovascular control, which makes sense because it fucks with your sleep-wake cycles. It keeps you up all the time. And it increases your heart rate and your blood pressure, hence the cardiovascular control. This area plays a primary role in processing pain, autonomic Mm -hmm. function, behavioral responses to fear and anxiety. There you go. Mm. This structure has been linked to controlling defensive reactions associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. It'd be interesting to... I'm sure these studies exist, but like, yeah. okay, so you have a mouse that was isolated and then it's put in a pen with other mice and then suddenly it shows aggression or hostility while on meth. I wonder if it would also react the same way if it wasn't even on like other living things in it. If it's just like any sort of change in its environment, yeah. would that cause that fear or anxiety to be heightened just because, okay, there's something novel here. And I don't know how to approach it because it's novel and foreign to me. My midbrain on meth is going to trigger these fear mechanisms, maybe. Right. Or um, heighten that. Yeah. And um, while Mm -hmm. you were explaining Mm -hmm. that, I was looking, I was on the page Faces of Meth, which is the the thing that's a famous advertisement where they have all the faces of meth of you taking meth and you just look like you've aged 20 years after Mm. using meth for like six months so i was looking at why it ages yourself so much and again they were doing animal studies and then also looking at humans as to what it could be they were looking at ceramides which i don't know like i've heard that Mm. term before in terms of skincare but I don't specifically know exactly what it is. I'm assuming it's in your skin or is part of the foundation of what makes up your skin and probably is what causes its smooth, wrinkle-free appearance. Essentially, what they found out is when they gave rats meth, it increased the production of ceramides or um, sped up the use of ceramides, and that is what caused the aging. And so as soon as they stopped Mm. or removed the meth from the rats, they started to gain their weight back, and they started to look 
younger again, almost like they start to regain their natural skin composure. So essentially from Mm. that is where they decided like, oh, if we can slow down ceramides, we can prevent aging, which is probably what led to this whole boom in these anti-aging creams and things like that that include ceramides. Here's another fun thing, which I think deals much more heavily with like severe abuse. But this is from The Right Step, which is a looks like a Mm -hmm. behavioral health company that deals with drug intervention. And it talks about meth mites. Mm. So not ceramites, but meth mites. (laughs) And I'm just going to read it. It says, when exploring what meth does to your face, you must consider the impact that habitual consumption of the drug can have on your mental state. Okay, so this is stuff we know. While under the influence of meth, a substantial percentage of long-term users experience intense hallucinations. These hallucinations can lead to a belief that insects are crawling on the surface of your skin or even within your skin. Common terms for these imaginary bugs include meth mites and crank bugs. So this is actually stuff that I knew, but I had to to, like Mm refine it to remember. In response to the perceived presence of mites or bugs, users often repeatedly scratch or pick at the skin on their face, as well as on their arms or other parts of their bodies and that's that's how their skins produces sores and it can lead to infections and just further decline of the face so it's it's both it's like what's happening in your brain can cause you to scratch plus the Mm -hmm. the ceramide that you had talked you know what actually that is not what i thought you were going to say because i just thought of another thing it's like Mm. you're putting your body under such stress like your body's not meant to Mm. be super on 24 7 right like our body is meant to rest Mm. So when you're not sleeping yeah. and your body's on that under that kind of stress, you will age. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is also a component yeah. of that. Like I think there's multiple layers to this this answer for sure. Yeah. I am curious again, question that I won't be able to answer and I don't expect any of us to know right now, but because how meth impacts your sleep cycle and just how you're on all the time, I'm like for those folks who have severe insomnia or people who just don't, they're like circadian rhythms are off for some mm-hmm. reason. I'm curious if they experience the same symptomatic things as people who are like on amphetamines all the time. Oh, like people you know? who like have insomnia and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah I wonder. I know there's different mechanics at yeah. play, but it'd be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. To look into. Yeah. Anyways, just a last little bit uh, before we wrap it up. Mm -hmm. So we don't usually discuss this too much on the pod in terms of toxicology, but I think this is talking about contraindications or drug interactions with meth because this is going to be a little bit of my PSA. So methamphetamines are metabolized by your liver and it inhibits CYP2D6, which is a liver enzyme. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors or MAOIs are also metabolized Mm -hmm. by CYP2D6, meaning they cannot break down the MAOIs, which is a class of drugs. They cannot break down and be eliminated from your body if this enzyme is blocked. So if you take MAOIs, which are antidepressants, while using meth, while on certain types of antidepressants, that is a big no-no because it will increase Mm. the antidepressant in your body it won't let it eliminate from your body and that can have sustained effects that you don't want cause serotonin syndrome which is also not something you want to have so just a little psa there always be mindful of what you're taking 
Um, but I also was curious, I, there wasn't really an antidote to this. I was looking at meth overdose and it kind of just was what I thought it was going to be, which is like activated mm. charcoal, you know, just like um, supportive care. There's not like mm. a specific antidote to this. So if any of our mm. listeners know, I know we do have some people uh, that listen to our show that are in this field. If you guys have more information on that, please let us know. But yeah, that mm-hmm. is the story of Hitler and his drug craze rise to the top of the Nazi yeah. regime. Wow. It again, it's one of those things where it's like, I've actually heard this, but I I'm just not a history buff. And admittedly, the world wars like I know enough about the world wars mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, I know that it happened and its significance and all that. But like yeah. <laughs> I'm I've never been one of those history buffs that does deep dives mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. who Hitler was and the Nazi regime. And all that. Yeah. Um, Because I have friends like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, kudos to you. That's just never been my interest. So this is something that I'm like, okay, I've definitely heard this before. I've definitely heard about like, you know, Hitler was just, he wasn't charismatic. He was just constantly on meth (laughs) and opioids. We could have all been that way. um, Right. So yeah, yeah. It's interesting to hear. So fascinating. Especially within the context of like, this was someone who just impacted the globe Mm -hmm. so significantly. And it makes you like, I'm not going to say I attribute his impact to his drug use, but it's like, yeah. you cannot discount that, no. you know, and it's just kind of weird. It's it's weird to think, yeah, someone on severe amounts of drugs. Well, yeah, um, exactly. Like definitely baseline Hitler was a shit person for show, but him being on meth definitely amplified that shittiness. And uh, yeah. that wasn't great. Wasn't great. But I mean, for me, <laughs> the story more than it was like, about Hitler and World War II, like that's all fine. But for me, it's just really interesting. Again, kind of similar to the Radium Girls and things like that. It's kind of wild to know like what the evolution of our history in terms mm-hmm. of drugs and the perspective of drugs and what we knew and didn't know that we know now and how widely used some right. of these really, really intense drugs were used like across the world. And for such specific purposes. So I found it very interesting from that perspective. Yeah, I felt I felt the same way. And it goes back to the question that I've asked many times at the beginning of our podcast, which is just like, what is something that we use so, so much right now? Yeah, that in a in a decade's time, there will be a longitudinal study that comes out that's like, yo, we've been using this abusively. Yeah. And it needs to we need to use it minimally. honestly i'm thinking like it's not even going to be a medicinal drug like a traditional medicinal drug i think it's going to be a new age where it's technology like some sort of technology is Mm. has been rewiring our brain and it's toxic oh yeah i totally believe that like i know there's already like we already know there's studies out with screen Mm -hmm. the the blue light and all that stuff and i'm just like and how like if you if you yeah if you look at your screen before you go to sleep you're gonna have a harder time going to sleep i think about okay this is we can we're pretty much end yeah we're we're done done. but (laughs) i feel like i've seen firsthand proof of like how screen time can rewire someone's brain two years ago my cousins from malaysia came and visited and i have it was like my aunt and uncle and they have five kids and the youngest youngest three are like from the age of 12 to six okay so that's the youngest three but the two youngest ones yeah is or actually all the youngest three they're you know they're on their Mm -hmm. ipads just all the time which i'm like i don't know you're not my you're my cousins you're not my kids like 
I know. <laughs> whatever is easiest for the parents. I, I'm not here to like say whatever. Yeah. But like, I just feel like they are so bouncy off the walls you know like they're and and i and part of me is like i feel like they're just looking at the yeah. screen all yeah. the time that they're just crazy <laughs> when they're not on yeah it. like they're going through withdrawal and, um, when they're not seeing a screen almost yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are studies out there looking at the correlation of screen time and increase in ADHD and stuff like yeah. that. I'm not saying it's the cause, but I'm saying that I'm sure there mm-hmm, are p- people mm-hmm. studying that correlation and I'm curious to know what they've found. Right. So, but yes, I agree with you. I think some part of our technology might be something that we find out like, oh, this has been impacting mm-hmm, us mm-hmm. so negatively. We yeah, know I it. agree. Well, anyway. we will find out. I'm sure we will mm-hmm. in our lifetime. <laughs> our kids are all going to be just like <laughs> melted brains. <laughs> okay, that was it, guys. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll head into our antidotes of the week. Megan? My antidote for this week, it's, I think you asked this earlier, how's your weekend going? And I was like, it's good. The the reason why my weekend has been good is because I have been put in in positions where I'm meeting people who are very, very fascinating. The other way for me to put that is, my antidote is, I met some really interesting people this weekend. Everyone kind of knows themselves, right? And you have an idea of like, this is the type of person I would never hang out with, or this is the type of person that like I could get along with. You know, we all make those prejudgments, but it was so interesting to meet them and kind of get to know more about what they're mm-hmm. about. So I'm like talking in code, but I'll just say like these people were, they're like burning man folks, okay, yeah. you know, like also known as burners. Uh-huh. And this is like a community that I'm slowly starting to get to know through my girlfriend, Jabria, Mm -hmm. who's kind of like by one degree affiliated with that scene. Mm -hmm. Like her boyfriend's part of that scene. So she is, you know, semi-attached. But I met some folks from that scene. But I'm just saying I am appreciative that I am getting these interactions in my life. Because obviously you always want to, you don't always want to just meet people that, the same are totally like you yeah yeah yeah. like it's fun it's fun to kind of break away from Mm -hmm. what you're used to completely it's just fun to meet new people that was my antidote kind of weird yeah no that's awesome that was that was my antidote you and i are the same in that we kind of like talking to people from all walks of life and understanding Mm -hmm. like what they're like you said what they're all about like what makes them tick Mm -hmm. so that's that's always fun to talk to someone that's completely outside of your, I guess, your own like bubble. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Absolutely. I guess in some ways, my antidote is similar because I sort of talk to people mm. outside of my own bubble, maybe not even in this realm. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the spirits. This, no, literally the spirits. So okay. my roommate and good friend, Amanda, she mm-hmm. has been seeing a medium for many a year now Mm. and i've never Mm -hmm. ever engaged obviously i know what they are and what they entail and her medium started to give out classes so she decided to do it with me so that is my antidote of the week because it was such an interesting experience like i've never done anything like that before Mm. never really thought about doing something like that that before so kind of outside Mm. of my bubble of what i am used to Mm -hmm. for sure and it was mm-hmm. a very loving, calming experience. It was really interesting. Oh, it was I'm cool. Glad. I'm glad it was. Yeah, I'm glad it was such a rewarding experience because I know like, let's say it's, you've never been part of that world and you go in with doubts. 
I can see like some people entering that and being like, okay, like let's see what this is all right. about. But I'm glad that you took it as it was and you've got a good rewarding experience from that. Yeah. So that makes me happy. Yeah. 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 That's my antidote, trying new things. Even if you don't subscribe to mediums and all that stuff, I think what's important about Harini's story is that, like I said, we all have our pre-made judgments. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, there's no shame in just closing off those judgments and just approaching something with an open mind. And once once you do the session or whatever and come out of it, then you can, you know, go back and make whatever thought you have about it. Every once in a while, turn off those preconceived notions Absolutely. and just like see what something's about. I always say like, yeah. you gotta try everything twice. I know everyone says like, try everything once, mm-hmm. but I'm like, sometimes the first time, it's hard to make a good first impression on whatever it might be. So try everything twice mm-hmm. and then you can decide yeah. whether or not you don't like it. So yeah, thanks guys for listening cool. to another episode in the books. We'll be back next week with Megan's story. If you guys Mm -mm. like this episode, please, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Usually on Apple Podcasts, it really does help us uh, move up in the ratings and helps other people discover us. So that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's that. All right, guys. So don't risk it for that pervitin biscuit. Don't want to be staying Mm -hmm. up all night. Get that good sleep. (laughs) All right, Wes. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Poison Pals. Bye. Peace. Mm -hmm.